welcome to Pain in the Class. Episode 14, Ooh, I think. One. Uh, mm. Yeah, number 14. Uh, this week we are joined by my very, very good friend from university, Hannah, who is here visiting us for a couple of days. Yeah, and we're going to chat to her about her teaching experience in France, about her studying for a PGCE and, yeah, future teaching career. Stay tuned until the very end of the episode to listen to a special treat which was given to us courtesy of one of our anchor listeners, Inspirado Projecto. Shout out to you. Thank you so much for our gift. And yeah, please listen to the end to hear it. (laughs) Okay, so without further ado, Hannah, welcome. Hi. Welcome to Pain in the Glass. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Okay, so Hannah, first of all, uh, so you don't live in Madrid, so we're no. not going to do our normal thing of like what brought you to Madrid and all mm-hmm. of that. But you did teach in France, so can you tell us a bit about that? How you came to that experience? Yeah. So, um, like you, Rose, I did uh, French and Spanish for my degree, and I, on my year abroad, wanted to work. I wanted to like escape studying for a bit. And so first went to Paris and started working for like an artistic review and doing kind of like translation and very mundane work. Um, And I kind of had envisaged me, because it was an artistic review, I'd envisaged myself like schmoozing around art galleries like with champagne and going to all these art fairs. But obviously that wasn't what it was in reality. It was quite... Um, exploitative and as I think a lot of internships are Um, so I hated it and I like really hated working in an office like you said before Luke that I just found it really like stifling and claustrophobic and I couldn't really focus on anything for a particular like long length of time Um, and then it got to kind of like two and a bit months into that and I just wasn't enjoying it I think Paris is a lovely city and I like would recommend anyone to go and visit it and I think it's beautiful but I think I was just finding that my like nine to five Monday to Friday was so mundane and monotonous that actually it was draining my enjoyment out of like being in the place um so I wanted a change and I come from a family of teachers and had always said that I was never ever gonna go down that path Um, and was just like really resolute about that. That always seems to come back and like bite me, like any (laughs) resolution like that I've ever had um, never comes to fruition. But I um, just decided that maybe it might be a good idea to like give it a go for myself and not just write it off, but just to actually like get some experience that was very much on my own turf. And so I um, came back home in December, applied to like every, I just randomly decided I wanted to go to the Alps because it was like as different from Paris as you could get. (laughs) And then uh, sent emails to like all of the schools in the area. And fortunately one of them replied and that was a school in Annecy. And so I went there in January and was there for like six months. Great. Um, what did you do there? Like, did you have any qualifications when you went out, or did you just dive right in? Yeah, I had no qualifications, and I think that was probably part of the reason that uh, in Paris I'd been kind of exploited because at that stage, as a year abroad student, you don't have 
a degree yet you don't have any kind of like paper qualifications saying like this is my skill so I think it can lead to you being taken advantage of but in the case of the school in Annecy it was because you're like going as, as a teacher I think like not it's not just the case that in the UK there's a shortage of teachers there's a shortage of teachers like all over the place and so I think they were quite grateful that like I just randomly was interested and like just kind of turned up and and so they were really accommodating and um were really in like really into kind of training me as well and like making sure that it wasn't just about my French improving but it was actually about giving me the opportunity to like observe lessons and like get to see some great teachers um and that was really cool and something that at the time I think I kind of took granted because I was like well I don't really want to be a teacher I just want to be in this beautiful place with an amazing lake um (laughs) and like I like working with kids so you know that's a bonus but I'm not going to be a teacher um and I think I yeah I think I honestly like I didn't really you know actually make the most of that opportunity necessarily because I wasn't when I was observing a teacher, I wasn't looking critically at the way that they were running the lesson. I was just like, I don't know, I was thinking about like the next fun activity or playing Simon Says with like three-year-olds and I don't know, but I did love it. But what were you, were you doing? Were you an assistant or were you actually a teacher? Um, I was kind of a bit of both. It was a bit of a mush. Um, I taught, um, because the school was from age three to 16 and so kind of the older classes I was more of a teaching assistant especially they had one like very advanced English class which they called like native speakers which were kids who were basically bilingual or had lived in English-speaking countries Um, and that was amazing because that was all ages that wasn't just like 16 year olds that was like 11 to 16 year olds and we actually got to like have really interesting debates about like issues of like you know freedom of speech mm. and like current affairs and stuff so it was more kind of like uh discussions that you'd have at undergrad level um and we could like actually look in depth at literature and things so I really enjoyed that and then but I'd go from kind of helping in in a lesson like that and then like next lesson teaching a bunch of four-year-olds and um there was one one class that we'd have my friend Haley and I were teaching together um the like the tiny ones and we had to split the class and we'd have them every afternoon and um always kind of alternate on quite similar activities that we do and we take them into their little room and then immediately it would be like hello Jean how are you and then <laughs> and then they'd kind of go off into their like little like lists of everything that they'd learned so it would be like Je suis happy et sad <laughs> et angry et hungry and I just be like and at the beginning obviously that was like adorable and we were just like oh this is so cute they're learning all the words and then it dawned on me that obviously if they were happy et sad that meant that they had no idea what those words meant <laughs> and also like by the end I don't know if I was like the greatest teacher because by the end of the like five months I'd kind of like stop them and I'd be like, how are you? And they'd say their thing and I'd be like, stop. Um, in England, we just say, fine, thank you. And so <laughs> then I just like taught them to just say, you're the one teaching them how to say thank that. You. <laughs> That's, that happens in Spanish schools. In the Spanish schools, they have like the, the 
knee-jerk reaction to how are you and it's I'm fine thank you and you <laughs> I love that <laughs> I love that and you yeah like going up at the end so cute I also loved how they'd put A in between all yeah. of the adjectives that's be A sex so sweet Oh, so what do you have any other anecdotes from the classroom from that time in um oh man plenty i think there was one can i like name yeah children? it's no up to you yeah the name is jean which is like <laughs> the most stereotypical yeah. french name but yeah my i know that you're not meant to have a favorite um but i definitely had favorites and um my favorite in that class of four-year-olds was a little boy called jean who um, would come in to school in the mornings and he's like, he clearly had like a little baby sister or something. And the way that he would enter school on the back, he'd like enter on the back of this pushchair <laughs> as though it was like his chariot. And he was this like little prince like being driven into school. And um, he was really cute because he'd always be like, he was always like kind of restless and like... Um, could never like sit still in his chair and stuff and like was always kind of up and about and obviously loved all the games we played but whenever we were doing like stuff around the table like couldn't sit, sit still and stuff um and like he would be occasionally like well I mean he was very cheeky um and so at the end of the lesson he'd often come up to me and um he'd say like Hannah J'étais sage, which is like, was I sensible? And like, quite a lot of the time, I'd have to be like, no, Jean, you weren't. <laughs> but then I'd be like, but if you like try and do this, and if you try and do that, then like, then tomorrow I'll give you a sticker or something. And then he'd always be like, Je peux avoir un câlin? like, can I have a little cuddle? And he was just adorable. Aww. I really loved that kid. Um, so I, I think I really. In- I really enjoyed like getting to know some of the classes really well and the like variety of ages as well like I'd never taught groups of like you know toddlers and then like teenagers in the same day before like that was so you have a you have a fantastic experience in that in that context something that a lot of people won't get in their their time as an assistant or a Mm. teacher Uh, which was your favorite and has it inspired you to follow this path mm. later on which was my favorite age group yeah um oh that is actually tricky because i think i the age group i found the hardest to teach was probably like age 10 and 11 and i think the reason i found them the hardest was because like the tiny ones they like don't really have a clue so like you can just make a complete fool of yourself and like there's zero embarrassment like everyone's just like having fun playing Simon Says and like find something purple and stuff like that and and then like the older ones you kind of like you have a rapport with them and you can be more yourself and it just is more yeah it's just more like a normal relationship whereas then I found like in between like age 10 11 they're starting to see through you a bit so like if you're embarrassed they can tell and like the the tone, I have quite. I think I have quite a monotone voice. And the best teacher that I watched, who like taught a lot of kids, like from like nine to eleven, was very like kind of sing song. She was really dynamic. Like her voice was just really. She was a very charismatic person, and and that was really like challenging for me to watch because I was like, I don't feel like I have that much presence. 
like that that can captivate these kids and make them feel like I'm like sort of taking them on, on an adventure with with language but I think rather than look at because my mum's a primary school teacher and I think whilst I loved teaching especially the like the younger ones it's so exhausting like it's physically so draining in a way that it just isn't like teaching secondary school kids and I think that that was something that I felt like I don't know if I'd actually be able to sustain that um but also like I I love languages and I think that I would you know, when I was in France, I was teaching English, so it was kind of, like, actually weirdly different, because I just thought, oh, well, you know, I'm teaching English as a foreign language, I do foreign languages as a degree, it's <laughs> going to be the same thing. But obviously, like, I'd never learn English the way that, like, a French kid will learn English. Like, it would be very, yeah, like, the gr grammatical phrases and, like, terminology that I know in French and Spanish, I'd never learn in English. So I actually found it really hard to explain that kind of stuff. Mm. Whereas, like, the... I just love, I do have a huge passion for languages and I think if I was a primary school teacher, I'd obviously be teaching them, but amongst other stuff. Whereas I really want to like share that passion and like, even if even if it means, you know, there'll be some children who would like absolutely love languages and will want to go on and study them. Um, and there'll be some kids for whom it's like not their thing, but I'd like thinking that I can have the opportunity to like, try and open their eyes a little bit to the potential even if they go oh you know like that's really cool but like it's not really my thing mm -hmm. but I can see why that's cool and why you like mm -hmm. find that inspiring. But you wouldn't want to do that from a young age where you couldn't captivate them like captivate their their attention. Yeah but the and thing then, is you, you can't yeah you develop. can't really in in the mm. UK yeah, I know. like it's I not know. the system. Yeah I think it's difficult. One of my like obviously I haven't actually taught yet so like <laughs> I mean this is like the, the extent of my experience is like a six month stint in a school in France and then a little bit here and there in the UK but um so I, I don't know masses about about what I'm talking about but um I think one of the things that kind of frustrates me a little bit about the way that I learned languages was that in the UK, like talking, speaking is like hugely built up to be this like massive thing. And so you do a lot of kind of like groundwork, learning vocab and grammar and stuff before you actually get to speak. Mm. And so the ethos is very much like when you speak, it's going to be a big deal. So you better get it right. Yeah. And then it's kind of like huge fear, even at university level, like, oh God, of, especially of getting it wrong, level. like of, of like doing the, you know, like it being the wrong answer you'll say something and people will laugh or you'll look yeah. stupid and and obviously like the only way that you learn because speaking is such a like it's such a spontaneous thing the only way that you can learn is through trial and error and just giving it a go getting it wrong like I said in one on my year but like I just lived the whole year in like a perpetual state of embarrassment <laughs> and I I said at one because I have very pale skin and like burn like that like so quickly I said to my friend um that I had I was like j'ai which is literally like I have a sunny ass <laughs> so like and what I meant to say was j'ai so <laughs> literally like, we had half an hour of one of our conversation classes at university where our, our conversation teacher tried to teach Hannah the difference between, <laughs> and it was, <laughs> between like arse and then like like hip or, is it, or like cu and cu 
and cool. And I yeah. And it was just Rose sitting there and me just going, like, like over and over again, just being like, ass, ass. And to this like, French woman who was like, I think she enjoyed it. Oh man, she She's probably it. at home right now telling her friends, like, and one time I took this girl who, and she was just going, she actually had perfect pronunciation, but I just thought that I'd make her do it just for oh, fun. Hilarious. But, um, yeah, but, like, it's that kind of thing where, yeah, what I meant to say was that I had sunburn, which is, like, obviously very different. But it's, um... We've all, we have all been there. Yeah, and you just have to learn, like... My my real downfall in Spanish is that I sometimes ask for an iced tea pescado instead of, of, like, durazno or whatever. Like, so I, I ask for a fish iced tea instead of a peach iced tea <laughs> and it's happened a few times and it's so embarrassing and everyone obviously bursts out laughing and I'm just like but it is kind of like I think that's one of the great things about learning languages though is that it's such a a communal thing that actually like you kind of just you have to learn to take yourself more lightly and just to be able to go oh you know what I'm gonna look like an idiot but actually like that's fine because I know that in the end like I will my language will improve and it will be worth it and you know you remember stuff like I remember even though I still find it hard to do like the difference between like those two (laughs) words and like other vocab things that I've got wrong in the past because it like stands out to you it's like the pain well I would like to tell the world that Hannah did exceptionally well in her university oral exam so all of these stories actually you're right like they did i'm sorry to embarrass you hannah but it's true um all of these stories of trial and error that you're talking about did turn out really well Mm -hmm. yeah i think that i think it is a case of just like yeah i don't know i think practicing but also it's weird in oral exam scenarios and it's the same in schools i think in that it is quite um contrived because I don't know if it's changed now because I know that the controlled assessments have gone but more formulaic it's yeah like as in you kind of know what the questions are going to be especially for like uh you know our like final orals were a dissertation like a kind of viva thing so obviously we really knew what's a a viva like a an interview about the thing that you wrote (laughs) yes and yes and a kind of like interrogation on it and obviously, because you spent months writing this like dissertation, you know your topic really well. And it's the same with like a, a controlled assessment. I remember at GCSE, like I literally memorized yeah. swathes yeah, me of stuff. Like, and none of it was actually what you know you would do if I was like if you were dropped in France or Spain and you had to just yeah like, oh god that first realization of that when oh, you're like man. I'm on I'm I'm just walking through the streets and I want to like have a normal conversation with someone like in a cafe and I have no idea where to begin <laughs> oh, but yeah. I could talk to you for 10 minutes about immigration like, policy. <laughs> yeah. well I told you about my what happened at the beginning of my year abroad when I basically I don't know if I told you Luke, but I arrived um into Paris my Eurostar was really late and I was like super stressed because for some reason I just had been really disorganised and I hadn't like actually worked out how to get to my flat even though I had a meeting with the like agent and stuff 
um, and I was gonna be late for it. And I was just really stressed. I had like all these bags with me and I got to Châtelet Metro Station, which if Uh-oh. anyone has ever been, it is just, it's the worst place in the world. Yeah. It's like, um, <laughs> it's like a, a, a labyrinth. Like a labyrinth, yeah, like you can't, and there were like all these concrete pillars that you can't see but, beyond. But there is an M&S in there. Oh, amazing. Okay, well, that just saves it. Like, um, But I remember, like, I was like, I just need to get to the surface. I need to get to the surface. <laughs> I'll be able to find I'm my way. I'm going to be a mole person forever. And I, like, I like, found my way at this escalator. And then the first person, like, the first thing that happened, I came to the road to the surface. I was, like, holding back the tears because I was like, I'm not, I don't have anywhere to live. Like, I'm not going to find my flat. And this, like, Médecins du Monde, man. Médecins du Monde's a bit like uh, the British Red Cross or something like that, like an amazing, like, charity. And this man came up to me and just asked me if I was okay. And I just, like, immediately burst into oh, tears no. and, like, fell into his arms. Oh. And the first words of French that I uttered <laughs> on my year abroad after years of studying French were... Je suis d'Angleterre. <laughs> She's like, I'm from England. <laughs> and then, literally, it was like years of learning French, just immediately wasted. Aww. But I was distraught. And then he was like amazing and angelic and like Aww. took me to the flat and took care of me. So wow. it wasn't, it was just, I don't know, it just goes to show that you can have the most disastrous start to like, yeah. or feel like, you know, when you start to learn a language, it's just this insurmountable task and you will yeah. never get um, to, like, you know, to be fluent. But actually, like, yeah, it really is just a case of so many stories like that. Yeah. And then eventually, you kind of stop having so many and then it just becomes yeah. more natural. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. One day, one day, one day. I find it quite difficult because I, I there are the ways of, different ways of doing it, aren't there? There's the way that you were saying where... You just talk and talk and talk and don't worry about making the mistakes. And I think that's a fantastic way of doing it. But also, there's merit to saying, take your time. You know, like when you're speaking, don't just think about what you're saying. Mm. Don't necessarily, but I don't know, maybe eventually, or you begin with that, you know, taking your time over speaking and making sure that you're using the correct words. And mm. then eventually you can go fluent and start spilling words off and just hoping that... Yeah. It makes Some sense. of them make sense. sense, yeah. I mean, I do think, like, it does... Everyone learns differently. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And so, like, there are going to be... And especially with... I don't know if it's even more especially so with languages, but I just think that rather than kind of narrow, narrowing people down this particular path and saying, like, you've got to, like, memorise all of mm-hmm. these, like, words and then, like, do it in this particular yeah. way and kind of learning it by rote, actually, it is just allowing because there is so much variety already within languages it's allowing for that variety within like the way that people learn and going okay well you know somebody is gonna like this explanation of this grammatical point is gonna work for this person but this person is like you know thinks in a much more visual way so let's try and think of a way that you know like really speaks to them and obviously that's that would be really challenging in a classroom. As a teacher, yeah. yeah. Of, like, you have a lot kids. of lessoning, lesson planning to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that is kind of the dream, isn't it? That it is, you'd yes. be able to, And I think the best teachers who I've observed, like, do that. They are, like, somehow able to, like, captivate a whole room with every single person has a different brain and a different way of thinking and learning. And yet, 
they all learn something. Yeah. And I just think, like, that's amazing. I guess you have to have, like, not different activities at the same time, but during a lesson you have different types of activities. Yeah. And making it applicable. at one point in the lesson there'll be something that someone someone gets. Exactly. And making it applicable to them. I mean, like, as I've said before, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but... You can't say to a, a ten-year-old, "This is going to be this English is going to be really useful yeah. for when you're an adult and you have a job," because well, they don't care. They don't, yeah, like, they don't know that that's important to them mm. at that age. You want to make yeah. it applicable to the ages that you're teaching, yeah. To, yeah. to to the minds that you're teaching. Yeah, but so Hannah, I don't know if we explicitly said it, but Hannah's going to train, probably going to train <laughs> to be a French and Spanish teacher. So we're talking about teaching English. And you're talking about teaching English to kids in Spain and, like, telling them, like, oh, it's going to be useful for your job. Mm. But I think kids in Spain understand that way more. Like, mm. there's a massive problem in the UK at the moment of learning mm-hmm. languages. And mm. that's, that will be a challenge for you, because, for Hannah, because, like, people don't want to learn languages at the moment. And, yeah. well, they haven't ever, really. But, like, <laughs> especially now, apparently it's getting worse and, like, less people are doing it now than before. Yeah. And, like, people in the UK just don't think they need to. And that's going to be what? a big challenge to, like, convince people that they do need to. That's, Definitely. That's part of the advantage of having lived abroad. You know, on your Erasmus year and the years that we've lived abroad mm. is that you can bring that back and inspire people through that, that excitement. way. Yeah. That excitement. And you know, obviously, Anna, you're passionate about languages. You love languages. You love other cultures and places. Mm. And you can bring that back. You can bring that excitement into a classroom. Yeah. And those are my my best language teachers were people who got so excited, not just about the language, but the cultures yeah. as well. And well, exactly. I think it's something that I'm... Yeah, one of the things I'm most excited about is the the idea that it would be... Because I, I think that at the moment, especially with the way that the A-levels have gone and because now it's much more common just to do three A-levels, I think in the past a lot of students will have done, say, like two sciences and maths and then like a language as an extra one and and they're not necessarily doing those now. A-levels are the exams that we take when we're 16, what, 18? Yeah, 18. Previous to university. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, And obviously that therefore means that like a lot of students who... Yeah, would have done it, say, like, would want to go study medicine or something and think, oh, I'll do two sciences, maths, and a language, because language is, you to know, it's it useful. <laughs> keep it balanced. And, you know, it is also useful. And, and uh, there's so many transferable skills in terms of, like, being a, like being able to communicate if you want to be able to communicate with patients in the future. Like, it's pretty important. Um, but it just, yeah, it's a shame that that's kind of, like, getting lost a bit. Yeah. But I think that what I hope to do is even in the even in the students who aren't gonna go on to study languages at A level or at university, to actually give them an idea of like how it, you know, like intercurricular it is, that it yes. like lives and breathes beyond the classroom like and that. that like you can because I was thinking about um like start starting up like a like clubs or something. Yeah. So you know like a foreign languages yeah, foreign yeah. languages film club and or like um you know, looking at a, a Lorca poem, it's a Spanish a Spanish poet and playwright, and then, like, com- comparing it with, like, a reggaeton song or something. Oh, cute. And, like, bringing, tying in cultures that are considered, you know, like, 
however people, although it's not a thing, you know, like high and low brow culture and actually going, no, it's all intellectual. If you're looking at it critically and you're yeah. like engaged. I am intrigued how you're going to do this. So I want to know which, which local will be, poem. Well, yeah, oh, so many, like any reggaeton, like, they all have like Corazon and like, oh, yeah. all, like true. Luna and like all kinds of like yeah. romantic shit in it. And so like they're all going to, I've got true. it all worked out. And ese que mi pantalón dale. Yeah, but honestly, like that kind of thing, and also just all like doing like a foreign. I think just like gauging what the school dynamic is like and what the interest of the kids is, and going from that because the best one of the best teachers I had was actually a maths teacher, and I hated maths. <laughs> and um, but what he did so well was he kind of like duped me <laughs> into learning maths by because I like loved. I was like set on doing English. That's what that was my favorite subject at the time, like, like GCSE time. And I um and so what he'd do is because he knew that and he like had a nice rapport with me, he'd like come in and you know, he'd set us doing the tasks and stuff and we'd be doing the exercises and then he'd like ask me about what book I was reading at the moment and like what my favourite who my favourite author was and stuff like that and because I was like actually like talking about something that I was really passionate about, I didn't even notice that I was doing the maths and then I had like done it. And it was just kind of like obviously that's that's not quite as easy I've as that. I still it. found maths I'm, really hard. I just solved the question. That's not that's not what I meant. But what I mean <laughs> is that I think engaging the students where their interests are at and like yeah. you know, if you've got a group of kids who like love hip hop and they're really into that, yeah. then set up a just club of like a hip hop yeah. club mm-hmm. and like look at like French rap and like yeah. and like stuff like that. Like you can really engage and show that their interests are not just within yeah. the UK and yeah. the US and actually Definitely. like it's broader than that. Love it. Or just a football club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh God, in yeah, Spain. in Spain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be great. It would be great if like a school we knew how to play football. Yeah, yeah that's true. Okay, so, um, so you're applying for PGCs, which is the teacher training qualification. Um, what are your hopes for the PGC and what it's going to lead you towards Mm, that's a very good question um i think i think i've heard the pgc described as like a grow bag like it's just going to be like a very intense year where you're going to like learn so much and it's going to be a very it's going to be like a mush of both kind of theoretical learning about teaching and the way that people learn and like the methods that have been developed over time and like how we can pick those apart and and work with them, but also then like putting them into practice in the classroom. So I think something that I'm really excited about is going into a classroom like kind of couched in this like framework of like research and like having discussed things with my peers and with like people who are at the forefront of their field in researching like education and stuff and actually being something that's an exciting discussion and will then inform my teaching Mm -hmm. because I think the the times when I would feel like I was flailing I think is if I just feel like I'm going in and like trying to make it up as I go along which sometimes university does prepare for really well um because yeah you have to do a lot of lagging yeah (laughs) um but that's that obviously is not what makes a great teacher a great teacher is someone who is you know thoughtful and actually like cares about their responsibility 
um, and wants it to be fun and engaging and creative and inclusive. And so I would love for the PGC to give me a good, obviously I didn't expect after a year, I didn't think it's possible after a year to be that kind of a teacher, but to give a kind of good foundation mm -hmm. so that when I go into my first teaching job, I, I'd like have something to aspire to and I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking along the, those kind of critical lines already. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's a fantastic tool. It arms you with the correct tools. But I've also heard from a lot of teachers that as soon as they get into the classroom, everything they've ever learned just goes <laughs> out the yeah. window. And it because it's so difficult. I mean, you can learn all the theories. You can have every single theory under at your disposal. But when you get into a classroom, you've just got to gauge what the students are like. Haven't yeah. you? I mean, you, you have so many different personalities, so many different styles of, of student, of class, mm. that it's, it's very difficult to yeah. apply all the theories or the same theories to the same students, yeah. the same class. And also when you're working, because you'll be in a secondary school, like when you're working with teenagers, I mean, that comes yeah. with all of the problems that teenagers have. That you mm -hmm. had when you were a teenager. Yeah, <laughs> and like you, you know, it's not always about the subject. It's sometimes about like the friendship problems they had during yeah. lunchtime or like... But I'm assuming, as Hannah said, that's what a PGC would help you learn. I mean, it's mm. going to be some psychological theory as well as as pedagogical yeah. pedagogical yeah. I, hate I hate that, that word, word. <laughs> hate that word. So. you've got to learn how to say it before you go pedagogy pedagogy i am a linguist <laughs> as, i mean how do you believe <laughs> but yeah i definitely think and also that like that element the pastoral element is as important yeah. as well like to the education of Absolutely. a child like that I think that's something that's often neglected. We just think, oh, okay, the academic stuff, that's what that's what matters. And actually, like, that's a fraction of, like, you know, a ma like, a huge, like, gamut of, like, knowledge and that is, very, like, vocational and, like, and emotional and, like, they're all different versions of intelligence mm -hmm. that make up a person. Yeah. And it's kind of, like you know neither there's not one that's better or more important and we need to work to like nurture all of them i think in order to give people a really good kind of like basis to then enter into adult life yeah absolutely um, i mean a, a lot of the teachers i've worked with have said you've got to be a combination of a parent a friend a psychiatrist a psychologist a therapist mm -hmm. uh, yeah and also an educator on the side. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It comes out. It comes out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's 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 a tough job. Yeah. But it's an exciting one, mm. and it's something that gives you a lot of diversity and just fills you with joy. At yeah. the end of the day, that's the that's the wonderful thing about it. It might be difficult at times, but you see the progress. You see people develop. You see young people coming through difficult times, and you mm. it just makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Is there anything else we need to discuss? I don't think or so. I mean, it's quite difficult to ask you about your favourite day in Madrid when you... Yeah. <laughs> Today was amazing! <laughs> That's your favourite day in Madrid, right? This is yeah. your first time in Madrid, isn't it? Yeah, I've yeah. only been to... I've actually only been to Spain once before on a school trip when I was 14. And then the only other time I've been to a Spanish-speaking country was Cuba last summer. So... I haven't actually practiced my Spanish that much. I've <laughs> spoken a lot about how important it is to practice. 
But um, yeah, I would love to live in a Spanish-speaking country in the future, I think, in Latin America or something. Well, great. we can do that. Yeah, we do. Anyone that want to give Hannah a job, then just write yeah, to us. Yeah, in Colombia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, great. Well, thank you for speaking with us Thanks today, Hannah. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely. Thanks a lot, Hannah. Thanks. Okay, that was Hannah Roberts. <laughs> Not just Hannah. She does have a second name. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a great chat with her, and thank you for listening, guys. Um, so please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pain in the Class. Find us on Facebook, all the usual things. Yeah, and listen to us on Anchor, on Pocket Cast, on uh, iTunes, on whatever. There are lo- so many different ways to listen to us nowadays. Isn't the internet a great place? <laughs> uh, right, thank you very much, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Now for your delectation, we have the song. Pain in the class, pain in the class, pain in the class, pain in the class. I'm trying to teach you English here in Spain. I'm trying to teach you English again and again. Pain in the class. Pain in the class, pain in the class, pain in the class.